my brain knows chaos and it knows no support and it knows aloneness and it knows really abusive love. And so occasionally when I'm about to really expand, it will just pick off, try to pick off the people closest to me. And I've gotten so used to it that it just can't really succeed. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Almost 30 started as a conversation about the transition from our 20s to our 30s. But then we realized life is full of transitions. So we expanded our mission. We are an intuition-led, wellness-focused lifestyle podcast that promises to deliver authentic conversations, diverse points of view, and insights rooted in optimism, growth, and intention. The Almost 30 Nation community is a group of purposeful dreamers who are smart, passionate, and always seeking the full potential in every aspect of their lives. At Almost 30, we're making magic together. We dream it, and then we do it. Thanks so much for tuning into the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hello, everybody. Hi. It's Krista and Lindsay. We're just cracking up. We're Oh, man. (laughs) Holy hell. Cracking the fuck up. It feels so good to get a good laugh in. Dude, laughing's the best. (laughs) And honestly, there's nothing better than laughing. That's why I let laugh. People that make me laugh, I let them slide with a lot of shit. Yeah, that is the truth. Do you know what I mean? Like, Or I just, I, I become kind of a, I like being an observer because mm-hmm. we're like so in a lot of things. And so like when someone's making me laugh, I'm just like, I'm happy to be like audience member. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I was, I'll participate, but I'm just like, go for it. Totally. <laughs> I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, I think I'd rather listen and laugh than talk and, and make people, well, actually, I don't know. I like making people laugh. It's both. Yeah. But, but I think like there is a joy to just like, Letting someone be so naturally fucking laughing is funny. It's the best. There's nothing. There's no higher vibration than fucking laughing. I agree. And not the most inappropriate shit. Me and Justin have been doing like <laughs> fart noises a lot at home, and laughing is <laughs> really special. <laughs> it's really really interesting. Did you ever have a fart machine? No, that'd oh. be a good one though. Oh, also, you guys. Uh, PSA: You need to watch. I think you should leave on Netflix. It's a sketch comedy show. Oh, I haven't watched it yet. It's on my list. Tim Robinson. Mm -hmm. um, And it's executive produced by Andy Samberg. And it is the funniest show I've ever seen on TV. It's my humor 100. Who's the main guy? On 100. Tim Robinson. Tim Robinson. Okay. Who's the best? Like, I don't know where he's been, but he was a writer for SNL, Mm -hmm. all these things. And it is so weird and wacky. It's like amazing. There's one skit where... It's Scrooge and it's, uh, he wakes up Christmas morning and he's gone through, you know, past, present, future. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, it's Christmas morning. I'm so happy. And he's looking out the window and then this like Terminator dude blasts through and he's like, Scrooge, like, I need your help. And he's like, um, I've already gone through my tests. And he's like, I'm from the way, way future. And then they like start <laughs> battling these skeletons. It's wild, but it is like. Dude, sketch comedy is. It's the best. And they're like 15 minutes long. Mm-hmm. I mean, the season actually took takes an hour and a half probably. Really? Yeah, it's super quick. Oh, like the episodes are just The episodes are minutes. like wow. 15 to 17 minutes long. Cool. Yeah. That's so fun. I w- I've been watching Dead to Me, mm. which like I haven't been into series. Like, because I'm kind of like, uh, like I have to follow this whole thing all the way through. Like yeah. I kind of like more it's documentary like or I'm like, nah, man. Yeah, no. Or like comedy, like a comedy special or a documentary where it's just like hit, quick One clips. and done. 
But damn, like I forgot. I, I just think of the writers in the writing room where like this plot is so fucking wildly smart and fun mm. to follow. It's really, really good. It's like a dark comedy. This woman mm. loses her husband and there's just like these fucking crazy twists and turns. It's Christina Applegate. Oh. But anyway, I highly recommend. I finished it in a few days. It's really good. What's it called? Uh, Dead to Me. Dead to Me. Yeah, it's really good. Also, I found out off topic, but I didn't know that uh, you're not supposed to ever flush your tampon. I've been doing that my entire life. Same. Oh, okay. I know. I but didn't, I, didn't know that either. Like, until I, someone looked at me the other day when I was like, wait, why'd you, you put your tampon? Yeah. I was like, why'd you put your tampon in the trash? Because their dog ate it. And I was like, why did you put your tampon in the trash? They're like, you have to. And I was like, oh my God. Who says have to? But like, they're, they, they argued and said, in every bathroom that you're in, like public, in a in a office, whatever, whatever, it says don't flush your whatevers. And I'm like, does that go for every toilet? I mean, no. People don't tell me what to do with a lot of things. They definitely <laughs> don't tell me what to do with that. But that's why I don't use tampons anymore. Yeah, I don't either. But I'm just, I was yeah. like, what? I remember when I was in Patagonia for that month, I was on my period and I had a tampon in and it's a leave no trace. So I couldn't leave like a, a peanut shell. So you ate it. Well, so I flung it. I threw it in the woods. <laughs> And leave some, no trace nearby. And someone <laughs> caught me. Someone <gasps> caught me. So I was kayaking, and then the the leader came up and kayaked next to me, and was like, "You know, I know it's hard to be on your period when you're." What were you supposed in, to do? Put it in a baggie? In a foreign country. I'm supposed to put it on a baggie and keep it for the entire time until oh, I could wow. dispose of it. And she's like, "You know, can't be can't be doing that with uh, the tampons. This is leave no trace." I was like, "Yeah, I totally get that, but like, I'm not picking up my tampon." <laughs> And she's like, you know, I think you should go pick it from the woods. I was like, I'm going to pass on this one. <laughs> Literally was like, I'm not I'm doing sure it. an animal would love sucking on I that. I know, but I regret it now. Like I would have definitely just put it in a bag or use my cup. Yeah. I'm a cup user. Yeah. They didn't, have, they didn't have cups back then. Yeah. I think they probably did, but it wasn't like oh. as accepted as it is now. Yeah, it's so true. I didn't really want to talk about periods today. Sorry. But here we are. Here we are. We have a question from the group cool. that we thought was interesting. Yeah. This is from Susan and it's in the Secret Almost 30 podcast Facebook group. There are like 12,000 babes communicating there every day. It's the nicest place on the internet. And she was asking, does anyone feel more empowered when they are single? Which I think is interesting. Really interesting. What do you think? I honestly think it depends on like the point at of which you are in your single day. Totally. <laughs> when you're fresh, you're like... Fuck, Fuck the yeah. game. No, truly. <laughs> Honestly. It's like, it's kind of a, it's a wave and it, and it goes up and down. But like, totally. I think I, for me, I felt my most empowered when I was doing a lot. I was like deep and kind of overboard on the work I was doing on myself, not overboard, just like a lot. And I just felt really empowered and I almost didn't even have like the, the space to think about looking for love. And I was actually uh, doing a little bit more research on my human design the other day. I'm a manifest generator and I am not myself when I am looking for love, which is really interesting to think about. It's wow. like a weak thing for me. And I feel that so hard. It actually hurts. Like it, when I am actively looking for love or looking to get love from someone romantically, I am not myself. So I really do feel empowered when I'm just like doing my thing. I'm doing my thing. I'm, I'm following things that light me up. I'm doing some self-work. I'm taking time by myself. I'm spending time with friends, but I'm now in the season after having done all that for 
quite a while and I'm still continuing to do that, but I'm like allowing, I'm really ready to allow someone in. And, you know, having spent time with someone recently, I am spending time with someone recently and I do feel empowered. I just feel comfortable. I feel safe. I feel peaceful. And that's empowering for me. So like the the anxiousness around quote unquote finding love or looking for a relationship just knocks me off every course. So being just really, I don't know, it just, I feel good and they see me feeling good inside and out. And it's just like, I feel very powerful there. Mm. So I do think like there are just seasons of feeling empowered when you're single and empowered in relationship. But I do think it's, in both situations, doing the work, the inner work yourself consistently will set you up to feel super empowered in either. Yeah. What do you think? I mean, I'm trying to think of like last time I was single was, you know, before I met Justin and I definitely make money moves when I'm single. Like I am... Like it is a free for all because I'm very independent anyways. So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's not like a relationship. It it just guides me in a way that I wouldn't on my own because I'm very like free spirited. So, you know, that was when I quit my job and moved and everything like that and like really went for it, personal growth and self-development wise to kind of help with my anxiety and depression at that time. So, and I'm such a emotional being in the way that I am very invested in my relationships when I'm in them, you know? So I'm very, very, very into that person and I'm very thoughtful about them. So, you know, a lot of my time is spent on them, with them, for them, proving myself to them, you know, like mm-hmm. being fulfilled by them. So yeah. it's like to have that freedom is so fucking nice, you know, like to be on your own and doing whatever it is that you want to do, not texting anyone or calling anyone is like the fucking bomb shit. And you can recreate yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, you can take that part of the relationship that you had previously and think about critically like what you loved about that person, what they loved about you and really just start new and be be new, yeah. be a new person, you know, be the person that you would love to be or that you weren't able to be as part of this relationship. There's such a freedom of that opportunity that I think I really, really enjoyed when I was single. You know, I loved recreating who I was single, but then also in the next person, you know, so you're finding that next person potentially, or you're being so much of yourself that you're a magnet for the people that are going to be attracted to you. And then you can start, you know, whatever it is, that relationship on that higher frequency that hopefully you've cultivated during your time being single. Mm -hmm. But I mean, yo, I look the best when I'm single. I'm fucking the coolest when I'm single. Like I actually, I mean, I've definitely had periods in time where I didn't get out of bed, didn't eat, you know, didn't sleep for months and months and months. But like, for the most part, it would feel really good for me because it was always something that took longer than it should have to be broken up. You know, like that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Like it was yeah, either it was like relief, I was unfaithful, yeah. they were unfaithful. It was too long. We were hanging on all that kind of stuff. So it felt like a relief. And I, I do think, yeah, I completely agree. And I think the, it's like 2.0 of that in your thirties feels like bringing that when you are in relationship, bringing that other person in on you feeling empowered. So like, you know, whether it's a guy or a girl kind of activating that within them, I'm trying to think how like John Wineland puts it. It's like uh, almost like teasing that out of them or I forget. Fuck. Mm. Um, 
he was he had a video the other day that kind of talked about this or or um, liberating liberating that side of you like how do you do that and that is for them too so empowering and such a way to you know just help them evolve within relationships. So I think that's like the 2.0 version of that work is allowing someone else to be in on that with you, you know, and not feeling shameful that you are shining or feeling empowered and also allowing yourself to be seen in that way. You know, I think it is kind of like raw and vulnerable, but like that for me, I feel like that would just, I, I haven't felt that quite yet, but it's like, that would feel like it, it would just take the relationship to the a whole other level, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been interesting. Like in my self-development journey, you know, I've being with Justin is like, it's it's given me so much, you know, because he's a mirror for me and he's always been someone that has shown me who I really am and how I'm interacting in the world. It took me four years to see that. You know, it's only been the past two years maybe Mm -hmm. that I've been able to really see that and work with that and navigate that. But it's like he, it's like he loves me so much that it, it allows me to not do the work in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. you know, where I feel like if I was single, like, I mean, I would be crazy right now. You know, I would be crazy in a lot of ways, but like my self-development game or my like critical eye on my life and who I am game would be so much higher. And having that relationship in a good way has helped me to kind of mediate against that and love myself for who I am and where I'm at in my journey. But also too, sometimes I'm like, oh, I really should be doing inner child work or Mm. more shadow work. But you know, why would I do that when I could chill? with Justin. So it's like an interesting thing about being in a relationship where for a lot of people, and I think in a lot of situations, it's your greatest teacher, you know, the relationships that you are in and the uh, closeness that you, or the closer the person is, the more that they have to teach you. But then on the other hand, it doesn't really allow you to grow in a lot of ways and it could Mm. be stunting you in a lot of ways. So I definitely have both of those happening in my life, which is something I think about. I think the grand scheme of things though, this is just the beginning of your relationship. It's been six years, which feels like forever. And I think it's forever. But like, if you're going to be together forever, you know, it's just the beginning. So thinking about like doing that type of work, like it will come around and might come around and your kids will teach you that. Or like, you know, just kind of thinking about like not... You know, we want we want to do things now. We're in LA, like all this fucking self-help, you know, self-care stuff is just so in our face. And it's like, well, maybe my time to work on that stuff is like when I'm 40. Like, you know, it's just like trusting the timing of it all. Cause yeah, I do think the masculine has that way about not rushing. I don't know. Like not, not like they're like cool where they are. And I think we have a way of really pulling them into like the next phase of their life. So it's a, it's a push and pull, but in a really loving way. And I, I think like you know, your relationship is so beautiful because you are so forward, 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 fast, fast. And he's able to really mm-hmm. balance that out. Yeah. You know, I agree. And I think at this phase in time of our relationship with Justin, my learning is to allow it to be really good and allow it to breathe and allow it to be something that fills me up and something that's amazing and something that's awesome. And, you know, there's not always work that needs to be done. And there is a yeah. presence that I can be grateful for and that I can continue to to cultivate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So, 
Um, join the secret helped. Facebook group. Yeah, join the secret Facebook group. Women are having uh, conversations all the time about the best beauty products, about relationships, about spirituality, about work. There's tons of awesome insights and learnings that they are sharing with one another. And we would love to have you be a part of that community. Yeah. And before we get into this interview, we just want to remind you that we are on tour. We'd love to see you. We are visiting a ton of different cities. We're going international this year. So you can find out more on our website, almost30podcast.com slash tour. You can follow us on Instagram for all the things at almost30podcast. Yeah. We're just really pumped. It's yeah. been a crazy wild ride already. So, so excited to see you. Let's continue. All right. Today on the podcast, we have Lindsay Mack. Uh, Lindsay Mack, I hadn't met her before and she walked in and I was like, oh, Ugh. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just the presence She's someone about her. you want to hug a lot. Truly. I just want to like, whenever I talk to her, I just want to put her on my, around my right arm and just hug her the whole time I'm talking to her. I love her. She's a delight. She's the founder or the creator of uh, Soul Tarot. Um, so she has a really interesting way of interpreting and utilizing tarot as medicine. Um, so really like a tool for self-care. I think a lot of people feel disconnected from tarot. They're like, oh, that's weird and witchy and whatever. I love tarot. Um, I do, I pull every day, but she's really able to bridge the gap between what tarot is and how we can incorporate it to heal ourselves, to make peace with some things on a daily basis and really understand our own personal evolution. So yeah, I really loved um, getting to know more about the origins of tarot, how she uses it in her day-to-day to connect deeper with her soul and her intuition. And really, this is just a guide for you and another tool in your toolkit to get to know your spirit better, to connect more deeply with you know your soul and your soul's path. And um, Lindsay is a great resource for that. She has a great mm-hmm. podcast where she shares her tips on how to read different cards and she does different readings for people. So you guys can listen to that. It's called... Terror for the Wild Soul. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lindsay. She was so also, I just want to say grateful for her like talking about ah. the PTSD and her chronic illness. Like I, you know, that's such a big part of her story, but it's also a really difficult thing to share so publicly. And I think a lot of people are going to find uh, healing and peace in hearing her story and how she got through it. Yeah. She's sure. a true delight. So make sure to check her out. And thank you so much for joining us, Lindsay. It was honestly a pleasure. And if you yeah. ever need anything from us, please let us know. Mm-hmm. If this episode resonates with you and you'd like to share it with people, share it on Instagram, send it in a text. It's like a nice little gift for people if you're thinking of someone and we really appreciate it. And if you're called, we would love a review on iTunes. It helps us so, so much. You know, we put out this free content because we're so passionate about about podcasting, about connecting with you all, about you know everything and anything to help you through any transition. So if you have a moment, a review would really mean the world to us. And we'll read one on the other side of this episode. So enjoy. We love you guys. We love you. We're so happy you're here. It is like yeah, we reached out a long time ago. We're such fans Aww. of you and your work. And, you know, you just have such a special, calming, nurturing energy, even just you. hearing you on your podcast, seeing you online. Um, Ruby Warrington is a friend of ours. I Love know you guys have too. worked together. And you just have such a great reputation in the industry and Aww. an interesting story. So we are excited to have you here and dive in. I'm so grateful. I'm Aww. right back at you both. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Aww. Yeah. Would you introduce? yourself to our listeners who don't know who who you are. Uh, I'm Lindsay Mack, founder of Tarot for the Wild Soul, and I'm an intuitive tarot teacher, mentor, and writer based in Brooklyn. 
How did you get into this work? The truth and the short version is that I don't know that I had that much of a choice. I really think that this was part of a larger soul destiny of mine. But the longer version is that I bought my first tarot deck at 12 because I was interested at that age and younger in opening myself to all different kinds of things. I didn't really know what tarot was, but saw it and Mm. thought it was cool. (laughs) And it wound up being something that I read for friends with through middle school, high school, and college. And I wanted to be an actor and went into theater in my 20s and never had any idea that I possessed any intuitive gifts, any healing gifts, had any kind of good carved path in that area. Mm -hmm. Even though I was living those gifts, I didn't really, yeah. (laughs) And then I had a PTSD-related breakdown that was really the catalyst for everything that anyone who might know me, but pretty much all came from that um, and my choice to live instead of dying. And uh, through completely random sets of circumstances, a couple of months after, as I was starting to heal, I wound up being in a shop in Brooklyn. They needed a reader. I have no idea what made me say yes. I sat down to do like $15 readings for like a tarot night. And that was basically it. And I had done so much. I had become a wellness coach and had a healing practice. I had a wellness practice with a yoga teacher in New York City. And it was never quite it. And I didn't get it. And tarot wasn't a part of that. And I didn't get it. And I just couldn't get it. And then Saturn return happened and cleared everything out. And then a breakdown happened and cleared out everything, including like my abusive parent and a lot of my family and the woman that I was in that wellness practice with. And it just really like cleared the soil completely so that when I actually sat down with my first client, I was aware of hearing and finally put it together that I had always been able to perceive what another person might need to know across from me because I had used tarot for so long. It was like reconnecting with a flame and a friend that I was like, oh, we've known each other for such a long time. Mm. And now here we are together again. And I have so many more gifts and tools and so much more foundation for training. And I found that the structure of a reading being short and concise, perfectly fit my personality and my gifts and was an exchange of help that felt really right. And I remember walking out and calling my husband and being like, I feel like I found the thing that I've like been waiting for my whole life. And even though I have worked uh, my ass off, both in terms of soul work and professionally, I will be honest um, that pretty much from that day, it has felt like I've been on a slide and I haven't had to work too hard to create downward and in that uh, to say positive, good downward mm-hmm. <laughs> movement. Like it's just happened. It's just really happened. It's clearly the right thing for me. Mm. It's interesting that, you know, when you're in the wellness space before and, you know, you're at the yoga, working mm-hmm. with a woman in yoga, it's like, people always get worried about finding the thing, finding the thing that they're meant for. But those 
parts of your journey, you know, with your Saturn return happening too, are so essential to that. So it's like the steps that may not seem like the right fit at the right time that aren't exactly it are still getting you closer. If it's more aligned than where you are now, it's just moving that alignment needle a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer till you have the ability to receive that thing. 100%. Absolutely. You do. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. Okay. So I want to break, talk about, you know, the Saturn return moment, like the PTSD moment, Mm -hmm. the kind of moment where you shifted and really probably stepped into your own. Yeah. Well, I am a survivor of chronic PTSD, which is a complex PTSD, which is to say that there really wasn't a time pre-trauma. I was unfortunately in a situation where I was being physically and psychologically abused by a parent. And when you're in that situation, and when unfortunately in my case, you have family who kind of know what's going on, choose not to, you don't always realize like you have PTSD, you just think you're crazy. So I had a lot of very classic PTSD symptoms and I just thought I was crazy. And every time I would go through that, I would think, I don't know that I am going to be one of these people who lives like forever. I just don't know if I can do that because I couldn't keep a relationship. I couldn't, Mm -hmm. like it was major, you know? And the breakdown really was uh, a a slow burn that um, I think actually probably took place over years but really peaked for about six months where I just kept thinking like, if I can make it like one more day, maybe. And then the moment really came where I literally woke up and like went to my bathroom floor and thought, well, I have a choice. And today I can either like end my life. And it was like five days before I was supposed to get married. It was really tough. And I was like, or I can just literally Google a good doctor. And I Googled a good doctor who was like, I'll see you today. Just tell your employer you can't come in, (laughs) you know? And, Mm. and somehow she, it sounds crazy, but I picked the right doctor who got me on the right amino acid therapy and she kind of knew what to give me. So even though I went off to get married, I wound up feeling better, which if anybody has, um, brain chemistry issues that are not being resolved by medication, I cannot recommend amino acid therapy more highly. That's just an aside. I'm medication resistant. It was the only thing that worked for me. It wound up being something where it took me years to heal. My nervous system, my adrenals were completely shot. So the response to what I finally got woke up to just being like, I need help today. The response to that changed the way I engaged with all different manner of things. Like woke me up to the fact that my maid of honor, who was also my business partner, was an extremely toxic friend and she had to go. It woke me up to the fact that I could no longer continue speaking to my parent. Like I had never even held my parent accountable for any of that, you know? And so it just, it changed the terms for me. And I didn't realize it at the time, but what the breakdown actually kind of did was it made me actually step up to reparent myself. It made me clear out everything that didn't serve me because I thought I won't survive it if I'm fucking around 
sorry to curse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also like, yeah, just everything, everything. Like spirit met me the whole way. Like everything cleared out. The only difference with me, my teacher came in, the woman who has advised me, been my mentor for years. She literally popped up right during that time. And Tarot came in a couple months later while I was healing and very tender still. I don't know. It's an incredible thing where all of it had to get cleared out. And then all of a sudden it was very clear to me about the direction that I needed to go in, but it was years of a lot of suffering, a lot. Was it like the realization that you weren't crazy that kind of gave you the permission to say like, wow, parent is abusive. Like it, it's not almost to take the onus off of you and really understand what's mm-hmm. happening. Like, what did that feel like? And also, you know, you are intuitive, you are an empath. So like, do you feel like that just put you in, in a much more vulnerable space? Mm-hmm. Do you mean the moment that I chose to get help? Yes. And also the moments where, I don't know, energetically, I'm just curious about how when other people choose you to like, you are the victim of like, mm-hmm. uh, of a lot of abuse mm-hmm. and like energetically, like, because you are an empath, are you more prone to that? Mm. More prone to believing that I am. Mm. Yeah. Is that what you're Worthy asking? Of, or- yeah. Like more prone to them almost like latching onto you. Oh, I yeah. think like so. Kind of the, the exchange of the energetic. Yeah, okay. I absolutely do. I do. And the moment that I reached out for help, that, I don't even know what that was. It was just a part of me that kind of took over internally and just went, we're going to do this because this will be the path of least resistance, even though that's really hard. (laughs) And in response to your question, like believing that I'm not crazy, that has actually been something that has Uh, ebbed over time. And I would even say at the first full moon of 2019, so just a couple weeks ago, I had a memory resurface of something that my mother did that was something I had completely forgotten. And that in and of itself was such a clearing of shrapnel for me to be like, oh boo, it is not you, it's her. So like the safer I feel as my inner parent the more my body is beginning to entrust me with these experiences where it says, it's actually not you, it's her. And now that you're away, now that you can caretake this inner kid, now you can allow her to grieve that. Mm -hmm. So it would never be without the help of uh, all the people that I have in my support team at the time, especially kind of, they needed to repeat it to me a lot. Like, you're not crazy. <laughs> it's it's them. It's not you. So mm-hmm. it took a while. Oh. And the reparenting process, what what is that like? How, how did you embark upon that? Because not a lot of people have the consciousness to know that they need to be reparented. Mm-hmm. And then to find the tools and steps to actually do it is, is I, what can I, I can imagine to be challenging. So I believe everyone's, so I'm going to go off on a teeny tangent. Please. Okay. I believe that we are all our first spouse and we are all our first parent. And part of the journey of this life is to come back into this connection that, oh yes, I am courting you. I, you, 
we are consorts together. This body is literally the original marriage because it is death to you part. Like no other thing mm. is really death to you part except for this body. And I think all of us tend to see the inner child, a lot of us do for a while, as being part of the problem that we have to stuff the inner child down to like be these bright women or these bright people, but it's actually the opposite. The inner child actually to go through the inner kid's fear, to actually put hand in hand, take them with you, really ensures that everyone gets to come along so that we're still accessing these really open-hearted portals of a lot of us have very sexual little kids who are very connected to their bodies and their sexualities and to pleasure and to play. And I don't know too many people who feel that that is a part of their day-to-day. Not a lot of us, a lot of us struggle with that. So Mm -hmm. reparenting is, in the short way of putting it, simply beginning to differentiate between you and your inner child. Because a lot of us respond from the inner child constantly in our friendships. And some of us find ourselves back in our inner kid with love interests or with just girlfriends or just guys or, you know, whatever. I wouldn't even want to speculate by that label, but some of us really get locked into that. So reparenting is the process of essentially elevating and illuminating the inner voice of the caretaker to be able to say, yeah, I see this trigger in you, little little one. Like, I see this and they're safe and they're okay. And now we're going to take a step forward, you know? And the more you do that, the more that becomes a regular part of your life, uh, the more for me anyway, it just opens everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's the it's you today at your age today and talking to your younger self. Mm-hmm. And almost one, allowing the feeling to come through and then also being what she didn't have. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We get to actually show up as the parents we never had. It's like, it's almost, I mean, like the, it happened as it did, but then it's like creating a new memory. Yeah. And grooves new neural pathways. Because sometimes we go through something very cyclical and then we show up a little differently and it changes things for the inner kid. Mm-hmm. It really does. Beautiful. Yeah. Do you do a lot of that work in meditation? Or? I live that work. Yeah. I do that work all the time. I did that work before I came into this interview. Oh, oh yeah. What, this what, is, so what was it? Little Lynn's gets afraid to be seen. Mm. She's afraid she won't be accepted. She's afraid to of who am I to do this? So we have to have talks occasionally and say, who are you not to? We're invited. This is absolutely perfect. I guarantee that anyone who you're talking with goes through the same work too on their end. Like this is all good. And so rather than being like, you cannot fuck this up for me, we're going in to be interviewed. She gets to come with me. Mm -hmm. Right. We get to where she really gets to see like, you're lovely. This is great because we're here by the very fact that we're present in this moment, that it is an inherent, it's inherent proof of our worthiness. Mm. So I get to stand up in the midst of any discomfort that might be in my body being experienced by that part of me. And obviously there's not really any right now, but oh yeah, I live that work. There's no separation between that work and my life. 
Yeah. Did you learn that? Like, was it therapy? Like you mentioned your support team. Mm -hmm. So did you have during that, especially during that time, Mm -hmm. like, did you have a therapist? Did you have, was it spirit guides too? Like, yeah. So we're happy you and your inner child are here. I know. (laughs) You are very worthy. Us too. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I learned so much of this from my mentor, Michelle Sine, who Mm -hmm. is a former therapist and a a clear channel intuitive cool. who has guided me wow. forever. But yeah, it's guides. It's before I met Michelle, I was kind of a little devotee of Tara Brock, who does a lot of work with this. And I went and worked with Tara Brock at Kripalu for a bit. And yeah, just this, this has always been something that I've wanted to do. But when you have a traumatized child It's kind of like, and I'm not a parent, so I'm spitballing at the idea of this. It's kind of like bringing a baby home. You're like, what do I do with this? So I had to bring in a lot of people who were like, I've been here. I've totally taken care of this kind of a baby. This is what you do, (laughs) you know? And then you finally get the groove and you start not relying on other people as much to help you take care of your kid. Then you start getting an understanding like, I know my kid better than, you know, maybe anybody. So... Mm. I had a Reiki healing the other day and Mm -hmm. there was like a a fragmented part of me. Basically, my inner child had been left at some point in my life because Mm -hmm. of a traumatic experience. So during it, she reintegrated or re-brought that child back to me. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting and it was very emotional. I'm still emotional thinking about it, but it's like, I didn't, I don't really know what to do with her. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like that's where I'm at, where I'm like, I'm so glad you're back and- the hell do I do with you though? Yeah, exactly. Like I'm yeah. thankful. How do I make you happy? Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like uh-huh. I've been neglecting you for so long. Like you mm-hmm. haven't been a part of my life and I want to integrate you into my life and make you happy. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you do? Do you just start conversations with her? Like, what is that like? I think, you know, what you're talking about is something that when I started this journey, like really, I mean, I feel like I've been on this journey forever, but post breakdown, that was a big question that I always had, like, what the hell do I do with this? Like part of myself. And I think that we make strides when we make regular visits. Um, And if you, yeah. And I would say to anyone asking that question, like just simply communicating and being like, Hey boo, see you. Thanks for being here. And actually I feel like the formula follows suit very strongly with communicating with guides. Because it really is like if you show up for regular visits, eventually you will have a deeper and more intimate connection. Mm-hmm. Wow. Very similar. Yeah, I was I was thinking the other day and in the work that I do in therapy, we do do like this type of work. And then also like as a child, like we all have imaginary friends or a lot of us yeah. do. And those are, I think like we're my guides, but I just thought, I just call them imaginary friends. I you love know? that. But like kind of bringing them in in that way so that like the child has you, yes, the adult, and then the child also has like the spirit guides and maybe a spirit yes. animal. And it's like a whole party. Totally. So that they feel seen and heard mm-hmm. and all of that. That's that. so, that's amazing. Thank you. Um, this morning, random, mm-hmm. thinking about my guides. I was like picking up crystals from one of my like, jars and I was like going to meditate and I was going to grab a bunch of crystals. And there was one I like felt it was dark. So I felt, I was like, this is a funny crystal. And I was like, kind of touching. I'm like, this is a very unique, interesting crystal. And it was still dark. And I like sat down and it was a vitamin. 
And I was like, oh, and I knew my guides were literally like, I heard them like laughing their ass off. They're like, that's a funny ass crystal. <laughs> it was so funny. Hilarious. I was like, God. It must have been a heavy, a heavy vitamin. I know. It was like, a, <laughs> like, wow, it's like light it, it as a was feather a, in my hand. It, it, it looked like, it was, it kind of looked like citrine. Cause it was like oh, see-through gel. Yeah, so yeah. it honestly looked like citrine for a second. I was like, this is kind of an interesting one. Oh my <laughs> like, God. Like what will this bring into my life? Oh, that's so funny. Okay. So you, when you went through this experience and you got married, what was, you know, your relationship with your husband? Like how did this work? How much did you try to integrate with your relationship and how much did you take on as your own? Mm. Like what kind of work was done solo and what kind of work did you guys do together? I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I have to think about that. And I might not even have an answer for this moment, but my husband has just always like gotten it. Like we didn't, he got it. He's always gotten it. Like he, he knows who he married. And I think actually he was so relieved that I finally was oh, able sure. to admit that I needed more help and that I was ready to make the changes that were possible so that I could actually process and heal my post-trauma. And although, of course, we've done, we've been together for 10 years, so of course we've done a ton of work together, I actually think it only served, how it really worked for us was like, I would do my work, I would include him on what I was doing, and we would kind of grow and expand together. And he was open to that. Completely, yeah. yeah. Wow. He's a good one. And what, like, was there any type, particular type of work that really opened both of you up and, and elevated your relationship? For us, because my husband is a Scorpio and like a Mercury in Scorpio and like doesn't talk really. He does, but he doesn't. Mm-hmm. I know what you mean. <laughs> um, yeah. He, for us, it was always just these deep talks. And I can't say that we ever did quote work together, but it was always these beautiful kind of clarifications that would happen in the way that we were able to communicate and share with each other that really made it. um, But my husband's relationship has always been one of the strongest since meeting him that I've ever had. And I consider it my finest moment of courage to not destroy that relationship actually (laughs) and leave him in the dust. And Mm. sometimes I still go through that and it's so old now that I'm just like, Oh brain, I get it. You must be, we must be about to expand because if you're attacking my marriage and if you're inviting me into fear about it, then there must be some old bullshit. But yeah, I mean, it's just um, my brain knows chaos and it knows no support and Mm -hmm. it knows aloneness and it knows kind of, really abusive love. And so occasionally when I'm about to really expand, it will just pick off, try to pick off the people closest to me. And I've gotten so used to it that it just can't really succeed. So every time it doesn't work or it doesn't succeed, the volume gets a little lower on that. So it's so interesting. Like the, you could grow up the way you grew up and having the experiences you had And almost like you could say out loud, like, I would never want that for myself or I would, you know, like not wanting to bring that in, but the subconscious is so strong and so, I don't know, like unshakable unless you really dig in and do the work that 
you will push away the things that are yeah. really good for you because that's what you're you're used to the chaos. You're used 100%. to the instability. Yeah. It's hard to wrap my head around it. You know, I do it too. I'm, I'm just like, how? How? Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Like these brains are the best, worst things because yeah. they're so good at helping to try to keep like they're like the worst helicopter parents in the world because they want to keep us alive and they want to keep us in what's familiar. And if there has been, which I think everybody has, you don't need to have severe abuse to, you know, if there's any modicum of kind of dysfunction or of chaos that the brain was like, oh, I've patterned this as being something that we know. If someone, and I mean, as a reader, like, I mean, I did so much work on this as a mentor and reader of clients because they'd meet someone incredible and want to completely annihilate it. There was so much, I, I literally felt like doula work. It was literally sometimes we would be in session and they'd be weeping, weeping. And I would hear from their guides like, stay, just stay, just hang out there a little bit more. All this discomfort, like it's, you're up-leveling. You know, you just are, you're up-leveling. So, and even if they broke it off, there would be work that would need to happen in that, you know? And yeah, it's incredible. Repatterning the brain is major. Wow. Yeah, the part about if you're up-leveling when you like pick off the people closest to you, that is like- Oh, yeah. Fascinating. Oh, yeah. That's a real thing. That's for sure. 100%. Yeah. I've definitely experienced that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I wonder what what is that, self-sabotage? It's- so if the this is the way my teachers always explained it to me, that the brain acts like a predator and predators like to get us alone. So if it knows, Whoa. yeah. So if it knows- Say that again. Yeah. The <laughs> brain, so yeah. The brain acts like a predator and predators want to get us alone. So whenever we're in a situation where it's unfamiliar, uncomfortable, but really great, the brain usually comes in and is like, I don't know this fuck this. And I know that for Krista, for Lindsay, whatever, when I pull out these files, they slow down their expansion because they'll get all worried about what I'm pumping out. So I'll just pull those out. I'm really like the kind of work that, you know, intuitive soul work, like really anywhere. I mean, you can really plug that into any modality, any healing modality, but that's really one of the biggest things that guides can be such allies with is that we can always return to that soul center and say, my brain is inviting me into X, Y, Z. Is that true? Is that really in my highest and best? Like my brain like wants to do meth again. <laughs> yeah. <Should> I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, yo, truth be told. Like, I always forget to crazy. kind of ask in that situation where you oh, feel yeah. your brain taking over. Yeah. And asking the guides for kind of the clarification yeah. on that. That's really interesting. Totally. Wow. Yeah. I have the, my patterning with our expansion is like related to my body image. It's like yeah. every time I'm up leveling, there's this one thing that's like, well, you're not there yet. You're X, Y, and Z. So you still can't be seen. Like you still yeah. shouldn't be seen. You still Same have way. all these things where it's like, that's my constant patterning when mm. like so much good is going on. It's like always the thing that like kind of brings me back to like yeah, not fully integrating everything. I understand. Wow, that's fucking crazy. I'm thankful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
I just need a second with that, yeah. to be honest. That's like really hitting with me. Oh, there was something that I wanted to ask about too related to your husband. So it says you're queer. So does that mean- I'm bi. Bi. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you dated women before mm-hmm. or- Okay. Yeah. And what was that like to transition? Because there's actually a lot of queer women in our in our community, in our Love network. It. So what is that conversation like, you know, when you met your husband, dating women and then dating men? I'd love to kind of explore that a little bit for, you know, our community that is also in similar situations or Mm -hmm. feeling like they want to express themselves in different ways. I don't know. I love that question. Thank you for asking it. I don't know that I'm going to be helpful because I met my husband when I was 25. I'm almost 35. And when I met him and told him, he was like, that's beautiful and never sexualized it and has never Damn. Wow. Yeah, and has never our standards are so low though like uh, never sexualized it? <laughs> oh my god and by the way that's cool like if that's a part of someone the rhythm of someone's relationship that's so beautiful but yeah he just never and and because I'm in Venus and Aries like I am attracted to other people a lot and it's never any big deal to him Like we have fun with it. It's not Mm -hmm. a big deal. I mean, I will say that I, as a bisexual woman, it is both totally like a natural thing. I've always known that I've been attracted to all manner of people and bodies and identities, but it is very confusing because, and I think most women, or most people who identify as bi or queer because queer just feels like a better fit. It's like you're with a man that is right for you and it's right, but your attraction to women does not go away. (laughs) So there is this strange identity where I do feel like I'm in the community, but also not in the community at all. And every time I kind of share publicly that I'm queer because I am weirdly like, very open about certain parts of my life. And I'm just naturally a little bit more private about others. And it's not an embarrassing thing. It's just because I say I'm literally every time I um, share that I have some asshole basically be like, I don't get it. You're like married to a guy. I'm like, yeah, but I could be married to a woman in 10 years. I have no idea what could be. So, I mean, I'm still in the midst of some of that confusion, but I am definitely married to someone who really can hold a space for the fact that it is just, I think, eternally confusing. Mm. Yeah. He's got that BSE, big space energy. <laughs> he's yeah. holding that space for That's you. Yeah, nice. he is. He's a good one. He's wow. great. Yeah. You mentioned, and correct me because I'm going to say it wrong, but the something in Venus and- Oh, yeah. That so my, I kind of want to dig Venus in. Venus is an Aries- so what does that what does that mean? Well, Aries are very sexual, very ardent, mm-hmm. and they it's a bit of a stereotype, but they do love the chase and they love to crush, and that's very true with me. Mm-hmm. That some people are like I'm very loyal and my marriage right now is monogamous, but of course everything is flexible, so mm-hmm. who knows. But yeah, there's never been like he just understands that he's he has to i mean like it's we've been together for long enough but that 
I do get a wild hair sometimes and I'm like, ooh, that person. Now the thing that works with our relationship is that I can talk to him about it. That's what I was gonna ask. Yeah. Like what is kind of the conversation around that if if people in our community do want to have a conversation? I have a crush their, on this. I got I think this person's super hot. Mm-hmm. I have a crush on this person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just he gets it, you know. Wow. Yeah. What a doll. Not threatened. I want to shift to talking about tarot a little bit. Sure. Yeah, that's cool. So for someone that is new to tarot, is mm-hmm. there just one version of the deck? Like, how do you see that? Because there are so many decks out in the world, mm-hmm. you know, there's like mermaid decks, there's yeah. angel decks. Lisa Frank there's, decks. Yeah, Lisa Frank decks. There's all these <laughs> type of decks. So is tarot defined just as the rider deck? Or how is it? How do you define it? And which decks should people use for which things? Okay. I'm really glad you asked this question and I'm going to pair it back with a very annoying answer that hopefully won't be very long. Not annoying, but okay. So tarot is, is as you asked, is it just kind of the rider deck? No, it's, it's all decks are worthy and equal to each other. The rider weight or the Smith rider weight, whatever, however people want to call that is kind of a descendant of the Marseille tarot which is written about in the way of the tarot and is a very old kind of famous deck. And a lot of the Smith Rider Waits imagery is based on the Marseille. So I will say that if you learn and study the Smith Rider Waite, you can pretty much read any deck, even if it's really different, because you can get the root system of the theory and really be able to shift and change that to any deck. Now, where the like kind of tongue in cheek, I guess, annoying answer comes in is that there is tarot exists beyond a deck. The deck is just the physical clothing that gets put around an invisible thing. So tarot existed long before someone had the sense over time in the history of tarot from all these different countries, from all these different regions of the world, to put it into paper um, playing card form or into divinatory form. But it exists beyond that. And it has no gender. It has no rule. It has no ableness to it and really isn't even about people. It's a map for all of human development and everything we could need as souls and human bodies. And I believe in the kind of tarot I develop and teach that it's really about learning what you can about the theory and then sincerely bowing to it and putting it away. Because really, if we wanna make intimate connections with any deck, we want to learn and then we wanna go beyond to that kind of invisible essence that's really contained I read in a deckless way and a lot of other people do, which means like, it doesn't matter what I'm looking at, whatever wants to come through will come through. Like I'm not always necessarily in agreement with the artist's interpretation of a card, but it doesn't matter. Like if I get the Empress with any card, I'm like, oh, great. Because I know Mm, that the, the deck is the middle point between me and spirit. Does that make sense? Yes. yes. And that's so soul much. tarot. Like if I could describe, that's my version of how I teach tarot. It's beautiful. Yeah. And you had your job before, right? So were you doing your job full-time and then you quit to do this full-time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of the women in our community too, women and men are working full-time jobs. They have their passion on the side. Yeah. What was that transition like for you? And what was that moment when you're like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to do this full-time? That is such a good question. I'm glad that you asked. 
I had a unique position. So I have a lot of admiration for people who are like, I'm quitting today. Uh, my situation was that I was working a job and knew a couple months out that it would not be renewed. And I chose not to get another job. So it's a little bit of the same, like it was still a leap, but it wasn't like me leaving. Mm -hmm. It was me choosing to not get anything else, (laughs) to not have a net of any kind. Not choosing to get a job was pretty torturous. I'm not going to lie for anyone on this journey. It's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. There's usually a lot of contraction. I would say a piece of advice that is unsolicited, but I do feel called to say is like, don't share that you're leaving your job with anyone who can't hold a space for you because it's like a lot of people have never done that work. So that shit. Yeah. A lot of people, I literally told like two people, like my husband knew my teacher knew. And like, I think like one friend, yeah, one literally one friend, like I didn't really good advice. told nobody. You just have to commit for two to three years to working harder than you've ever worked in your life. You have to know that there'll be ups and downs and you don't be shy about doing whatever you have to do in terms of what matches with your integrity and so forth, whatever, but just don't be afraid to try everything you can and take as many jobs as you can. And don't be afraid to like have it be wildly imperfect. We talked about that at the beginning of the interview where you were saying like, you really do have to go through all the shit that doesn't fit to get to the thing that does. And I think like in my experience of holding space or mentoring people, people get way in their heads about like, but what is my essence? I'm like, fuck your essence. Just do anything you can to get yourself physically out there. Try your best. If no one comes, you're doing a class for you in spirit. If a thousand people come, you're up leveling big and hugely. And then the next one, two people might come. There's no, you just have to try and see what works for you. And so I just worked incredibly hard for years (laughs) and basically did all that I could and people responded. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the insecurity that comes along with going out on your own, but what if no one comes or what if no one joins the program or what if no one, whatever, it's like, where did we learn that? It's like, where did like that supposed to come from? And where did that like, yes, that idea of what it's supposed to be like. Cause honestly what you're doing and what a lot of us are doing as entrepreneurs, yeah, people have done something like it, but no one's doing it like we're doing it. Exactly. So yeah, it's finding the freedom too, as I think challenging the freedom and the kind of the degaff, like the not yeah. giving a fuck about mm-hmm. like exactly how you're going to do it. It's really having fun and, and experiencing the highs and the lows of getting to where you really feel in flow. Um, I agree. I think too, just on that real fast, I mm-hmm. kind of, and maybe this is cold as ice, but I kind of <laughs> question why someone's doing something if they're so worried about, you know, how many people are going to come or like, yeah. you know, how many people are going to show up or how many I people agree. will see or how many people will join my group or follow my Instagram or, you know, da, 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 da. Like, I guess when you're in a service-based business, that's important because your clients are how you make money or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like a lot of it, I'm just like, who cares? Just do your shit. Yeah. Just if do your if shit. you want it that bad and you're doing yeah. it from your soul and because you want to, you know, X, Y, and Z, then, then that shouldn't be what stops you. And if it does, then like it wasn't meant for you. Genius. And I also feel like there's this weird thing that happens, right? When you do your thing, because you have to be okay with not being everybody's cup of tea. 
Even if you're doing everything right, there are going to be people who are just not going to be into you. Or they're going to try, and I've experienced this many times, like to kind of take what you're doing and be like, well, I do it this way. And it's like, yeah, but without me, you really wouldn't have a platform. So in that specific situation, when people try to be like, this is like the not soul tarot or whatever they do. And it's like, yeah, well, without a response, (laughs) you don't even know. Yeah, I can imagine. I know who I'm talking to here. (laughs) It's true. Like, you know, so I think sometimes... It, it it's, takes a lot of work. You got to be surrounded by the right people, the right support system. They got to be for you. But it really is like, you're never quite ready. I don't think you're ever ready. I think it's just like, you have to try and you have to do the best you can. And you have to really be committed to being yourself, whether or not, just as you said, two people show up, whether or not you have two followers on Instagram or you have 200,000, it really doesn't matter. Because mm-hmm. if you're doing your thing, the exact right amount of people will be in your circles, in your spaces, following you. And you really don't want any more than that anyway. That's where I think people get off base is that they think they have to get certain things to be seen as successful. It's like, don't be afraid to grow over time because then your body and nervous system will actually keep up with it. Then you won't have a complete blowout and have to change everything. That's for us right now too is like, you know, we really are working on like our nervous systems and being able to handle everything. Yeah. And it's all happening at the right time. And if it was, you know, I get like six emails from people and I'm like, oh my God. I understand very well. I've got to give them a thoughtful, kind response that I'm sitting down for that is everything that they're looking for. And, you know, I've got to answer there, da, 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 da. And it's like figuring out that energy, you Mm -hmm. know, to expand is interesting. Yeah. It's also interesting when you reach a level that would be considered more successful. Like last year, I had a very successful year and honestly felt like I had no one to talk to about it because it was it happened really quickly. And I was mm. like, I'm alone in this completely. Like it was like, I didn't quite have the right relationship with anyone to be like, oh, with, you know, but. Cause it's, um, a, I, I'm, I'm going to ask like on top of that, it's like, yeah. is it, is it like you don't want to, because it's going so well, it's like, do you not want to shine and like, be like, ah, I'm feeling overwhelmed. And then people no, are like, it's why just, you're so successful? Blah. No, I, I'm so lucky that I have the, the close mix that I keep, mm. like they're, we're all very happy for each other. And also they understand cause they do this work too. Like, realistically, that may never happen again in quite the same way. It's okay. Like there's enough for everyone. It was really more that I would be across from a dear friend who would be so heart open and be like, I wish I knew what to say. I don't Uh, know what to say. It was literally mm. like I hadn't, I was not able to connect with anyone who had been through quite that set of circumstances. I feel you. And it's really hard because sometimes you want almost, like we just so crave sometimes that community and that certain set of situations when it's such a high up leveling, you know, like I find it very lonely sometimes when my nervous system is extremely, and I can't even look at my inbox. And sometimes it's hard to feel like you can't share that with people or there's not really an, a safe place to go with it, which is why I think it's so great that you have each other. Yeah. yeah. Which is so amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that is a saving grace, to be honest. Yeah, like I believe it. 
it's it's huge. You know, I even just like before you came, we had like lunch and we were just kind of catching up and just kind of riffing on some things that are going on. And like I was actually thinking, sitting there, I'm like, what would I do if I didn't have her? It would be in my head. It would be melt my face off. I would literally live in the middle of Oregon. (laughs) Yeah, because I just don't even and then I don't, you know, my my boyfriend, Justin, who, you know, I, mm-hmm. I tell him a good amount, but I don't really tell him much because it's like, I have, I get everything I need from our conversation and it's then, beautiful. you know, from internal, but it is an interesting thing too, because it's like, and I don't know if it's like, you know, just showing what's only positive and not showing enough of the hard mm-hmm. or like what that sort of dissemination of information should be yeah. to everyone. Cause it's not like you're not grateful or thankful or whatever it is, but there's, there is like a, there is a little bit of a loneliness where like, you know, that's why we're so lucky for the podcast. Like, I feel like a lot of times when we have people like you come, it's we can express freely and openly yeah. to someone that is in our space that understands kind of absolutely what's going on and what what gets it. And that fills me up a lot of the time, you yeah. know, because if you meet someone and you're kind of explaining and either they try to understand or they act like they do and you know that they don't because they feel so isolating. isolating. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah, it's really hard. It's beautiful, but really hard. I wanted to ask about just going back to the tarot and mm-hmm. if people are doing daily pulls or mm-hmm. how, like, is there an art to asking really yes. great questions? Yeah. Sometimes I sit down to do a pull and I'm like, freaking ask this before. I know. You know what I mean? It's just, it just seems so <laughs> yeah. like, I'm like, I want to have like a really beautiful question and feel, you know, yeah. and I'm so connected to my deck, but Aww. still I really want that those questions to kind of up-level my relationship with the deck. Mm -hmm. So my favorite question and the one that I, I personally feel is the most expansive, the most powerful is what am I being invited to pay attention to? The other question that I ask often is um, what is the holy invitation of this moment? As in not just what's here, but what is the invitation? Because everything's an invitation, right? But we don't see it that way a lot of the time. The tarot is um, very inconsistent with predicting the future. It actually doesn't do that very well. It sometimes does, and we can be like, oh my God, and then other, but most (laughs) of the time it is an exquisitely consistent um, mirror for the present. And we possess so much power because when we're really in touch with what is here, we can make very wise choices about whether to go left or right, to stay or go, whatever it is. So what am I being invited to pay attention to in this moment is my number one favorite question because it usually provides the context for me to ask multiple questions after that. Mm. Yeah. I love that. That's what I felt like with tarot. It's like if it just, I've realized that a while ago when I would get readings, cause we get readings like a good amount mm-hmm. and I'd be like, oh, that's like exactly what's going on for me right now. But I know that's not my future or what's going to happen in yeah. the future. Yeah. You know, say Justin and I are in a fight and then I get a reading. It's like doom. But I'm like, oh, that's not actually what the deal is. It's yeah. just like, that's my current vibration right now. And it's yeah. like picking up and reading on that current vibration. Totally. Of whatever. So yeah, I've definitely felt about that too. They do any basic deck, they can ask that question. What about bigger spreads, bigger readings? Like when would be an opportunity for them to do like 
different types of spreads and what are the types of spreads? There's all different. There's an infinite amount of spreads. So when you do a bigger spread is when you want a fuller picture of what is really present and kind of the seeds we're planting in the harvest that we may be expecting. That's sort of how I like to look at past Mm. future is like, we know spring is coming. We also know that we're going to harvest something. It can put it into a little bit more lunar terms and natural terms that I find can often change the way we pull. One uh, spread that people love is the Celtic cross, of course. Mm-hmm. Another one that I highly recommend is the mother piece spread, which is a version of the Celtic cross. It's just a little bit more, a little bit more holographic, a little bit more about a little bit more integrative. I really love that spread. And you don't need to use the mother piece tarot to use it and you can Google it. But if I am doing a reading for myself, um, usually, and people are more than welcome to like pause the podcast and copy this. Like my question one is always, what am I being invited to pay attention to? Question two is usually invitation of the present. What is here? And then my question three is usually what's under the present that I can't see. Question four, what am I learning about right now? And then I usually ask what's being cleared, what's the harvest that's coming in, and what card in this deck is my teacher right now? That's usually as far as I go. And that's a spread I just, I invented. And the other thing that I would say to anyone listening to this, and I know that some people are total beginners and need that structure, but for anyone who is like a little bit less of a beginner or has a little bit more of a scrappy spirit and kind of doesn't want to do a spread that's just out there. You can always make your own. And it's as simple as literally sitting down pen to paper, plume to parchment, and just saying, what exactly do I need right now answers to? What are the questions? I don't need to make them perfect. I don't need to do anything like, what exactly do I want answers to right now? And if we're willing to act, like kind of frame that a little bit, then that's literally how we start making up our own. And that's really where the juicy medicine starts to come in. Mm. Yeah. A lot of people knock on the tarot deck. Mm-hmm. That we, what, why would someone do that? Clears the energy. Okay. Yep. Justin, me and Justin pull every morning and he knocked on the deck. I was like, why are you knocking yeah. on the deck? <laughs> it's one of those things some people do, some don't, but it's like w- one way to like make contact and kind of like almost like brush the cobwebs. Yeah, shake mm. it up, wake it up. Yeah. If a, if a card pops out, do you like, do you kind of take that card as one that needs to be like- Always. Yeah. Those are called jumpers cool. and they're messages from spirit. Love that. Yeah. It's like listening to a transistor radio and then having something really powerful come in. It's a jumper. And we always want to honor those. Yeah. Wow. And then um, can you pull cards for others? So I could I be like, if I, you know. That's a great question. Could, could you be like, does he love me? You know, like. So ideally, we don't want to, but I'm not here to judge that. That's, I do think it's important not to just consent and permission and all that. But One of the big reasons to err on the side of not doing that is because the answers will be inconsistent. Now, what we can do in those moments is we can turn to our deck and we can say, divine, I would like to drop in about this really deep feeling that I'm having with this person. And I'd like to drop in about clarity 
with my next steps or receiving next steps from this person. So then again, that gets into making your own spreads. You can say uh, energy between me and this person. And you can say my feelings about this person, the invitation this person could bring into my life. So we're kind of recentering it back on us. Mm. Yeah. And then cards that are upside down. Reversals. Reversals. So most people would say that reversals are the opposite of the meaning of the card or in some way bad or warped. And I uh, very vehemently and respectfully disagree with that. Every tarot card is really whole and pure and really vibrant in its invitation. And we re- when we reverse it, it doesn't make it warped. It just changes the flavor. So the goofy, and it is pretty fucking goofy. Mm-hmm. Um, the example I always give is like, if you pull the fool Um, That's like a whole chicken that you've roasted. And when you pull the full reversed, it's not a rotten chicken. It's a chicken with lemon and rosemary on it, as opposed to a regular chicken. So for example, the fool, when you pull it right side up is an invitation to trust the soul, take a leap to be yourself. It's ruled by Uranus, which is connected to Aquarius. So we're really in the fool getting a chance to honor our souls, yes, in spite of how foolish it might look to another person. So it's this really big next cycle. And how a lot of traditional books and um, people tend to think about the full reverse is like a warning, like don't jump, but it's actually the opposite. It's that we're afraid to jump, that some part of us doesn't trust. So when we look at reversals holistically from that perspective, then we can kind of wade out in the bend in the in the river where we might be stuck. We can go out and meet ourselves, that part of us that's scared, and go, boo, of course it's scary. This is a big evolutionary leap, but I've got you. We're together. Guides are giving us the heads up. It's all good. And then you can move forward. And although other people might not say this, I believe that certain reversals like just kind of like write themselves once we do that work. So it's just more work to do. It's just beautiful. It just adds more flavor. And some reversals are such a fucking blessing. Like devil reverse and tower reverse means you're leaving it. It means that it's lightning, it's lessening. So it's really, again, this is just my version of how you, it's just that soul tarot. It's just seeing the reversals as equal medicine. Last question for me, you mentioned before, that the deck is kind of what is between you and spirit. Mm -hmm. So if we're pulling our own cards, how can we strengthen that connection? Are there practices that you can suggest or what does that look like? Yeah. So I feel it might sound very simple, but it is very effective in the practice of it is the key to connecting more fully is what we could call the drop-in. So the drop-in is, you know, because a lot of the time before we pull cards, we tend to kind of like take a deep breath, center ourselves, and just sort of pull. Um, Sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. Dropping in is actually a moment before we pull a card where we say, this is again my languaging and anyone's welcome to sub out what they believe in or what they work with with their own. Or we say, I'd like to connect to and actually make contact, communicate with my guides, my angels, my ancestors of what my well ancestors to receive medicine through this deck that is highest and best for me right now. May I be open to that. May you flood this deck. May you guide my hand. And when we do that, when we actually make the intention to connect in that way, and when we let our hand kind of light up in that way, 
it changes everything about how we pull and what we pull. And because this is a free will universe, and because often we need to say, hi, counsel, I'd like to connect with you, it will change the cards we pull, and it will change the way we interpret them. It will absolutely change everything about the way we do it. The more we do it with tarot, the more we deepen the bond with our deck. And the more after we pull, we say, Divine Spirit, I'd love to keep hearing from you all through the day about what this card might mean for me, what it might be bringing for me. May my eyes be open. May my ears, may, may my ears be open. And the more we do that, the more that channel, you know, because again, we have two channels in this body. We have the brain it's very, very loud and very, very focused on our survival. We have the soul that's very, very soft. And we're always just working with the volume. So doing that with our deck tends to really turn the volume up on the channel. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. What can we look out for this year as far as, you know, 2019, as far as like planetary stuff, astrological stuff. Mm. Is there anything that you've seen from your card polls that our girls can be aware of or note? Absolutely. So I don't know from my polls, but what I can tell everyone that I think could be of great help and guidance is that 2019 is a hanged man empress year. And the reason that we get that is that we add up each individual digit of the year. So if we add up two wow. plus zero plus one plus nine, we get 12. And if we add up one plus two, we get three. And hangman is number 12 and empress is number three. So 12 is the end of a cycle and the readiness to begin a new one. So we know that we're closing a lot out this year. We also know that we are structuring because 12 is such an important number of structure. It's for, you know, like, mm -hmm. so a lot of what we're doing in terms of 12 energy is kind of laying new foundations. So it's a lot of clearing, laying new foundations. It's a lot of new. The hanged man is about elevating from the ego pain body to the soul. So it describes a moment of ascension where we're actually kind of hanging out in discomfort long enough to transcend that, but it requires work in discomfort. So a lot of us will probably go through very strong discomfort this year, whether it be mentally, physically, et cetera, but there's medicine to it and it's meant to be a transitory place. Mm. And the presence of the Empress, which is all about Venus receiving pleasure, like just all the good shit that we live for. This card is helping us to ask, well, how can we make the discomfort a little bit more easeful, a little bit more graceful? It doesn't have to be horrible. Can we be in front of something beautiful while we're in discomfort? Can we serve ourselves, honor this body? Can we take care of ourselves? It also describes a little bit more of a social year, a little bit more openness, again, because we're working with three. So really, if I could offer like one clean phrase or intention for 2019, it's really preparing to clear out what doesn't serve and allowing the process to be sweet. Love that. Yeah. I feel that. Beautiful. Where can our lovely ladies connect with you? They can connect with me at lindsaymack.com. They can also connect with me on my Instagram at wildsoulhealing. And uh, I don't know if this is the right time to say this, but I am doing an eight-week online tarot course that is all about learning how to read tarot in this way called Tarot for the Wild Soul. And that opens for enrollment on February 12th. 
And I only do it once a year. And um, it starts on March 21st. And they can find out more about that at tarotforthewildsoul.com. And on my podcast, also called Tarot for the Wild Soul. A lot of the same name. I love it. So good. Well, yeah, yeah, we'll share that with our community for sure. And the links everywhere too. This was amazing. I had some really like aha Mm -hmm. moments. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Thank you. You're such a pleasure. And it's just great to be around someone like you. So thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much, Lynn. We appreciate you. If you'd like to listen to her podcast, it's Tarot for the Wild Soul. Okay, review of the week. Yeah, review of the week, baby. Authentic and unfiltered five stars. I look forward to listening to this podcast each week. It is uplifting, informative, and so real. Lindsay and Krista are great interviewers with just the right mix of professionalism while keeping it real. They learn along with us while interviewing guests. And the newest episode, 221, really took this podcast to a new level. I love how the podcast addresses topics such as addiction uh, and hold space for addicts because it affects so many people. Many wellness podcasts focus on healthy people getting healthier, but this podcast does not leave anyone out and empowers all women to be their best and highest oh. self. Thank you, Lindsay and Krista. That's from Jackie. Tell me. Wow. Tell thank me. you so much. And we read these reviews, you know, sometimes it feels weird because we're like reading about what we do in ourselves, but we're really just so proud that you know we've created this space and that you all are are a part of it yeah participating know? in it truly holding it truly you know like doing the meetups like like being kind to one another in the group being kind to one another in the subgroups supporting one another at the meetups or the volunteer things all of the things so we are really thankful and you guys make it all possible yes thank you thank you thank you we love you um see you on tour and we'll see you on tour yeah see you on okay. tour we have tons of dates nashville philly D.C., Miami, New York. We have three events in New York. Um, live show happening at the end of July with Lacey Phillips of mm-hmm. To Be Magnetic. And then the retreat. Yeah. 9th through the 12th of July. Can't wait. It's almost sold out. Might be sold out by now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We love you. Talk to you later. Bye.